so about 10 seconds before I walked up here, I had that little twinge that you get when you think you need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Can I go? <laughs> I guess that means no. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm celebrating. I'm uh, excited about Christmas. It wasn't always that way. But uh, over the last few years, I've become more excited about Christmas. So um, I'm excited. And uh, although, if you know me, it's not really easy to recognize, is it? <laughs> it's like, is he excited? Is he happy? Mad? Glad? I don't know. <laughs> you can't tell typically from the look on my face. Uh, that passage of scripture that uh, Ben read is really exciting news to me. Um, it really captures for me what the meaning of the season is. Although sometimes I'm a little confused. I don't know if I, about you. But I always wonder, what are we really celebrating? Are we celebrating that Jesus came, you know, the whole baby Jesus thing? Or are we celebrating that he's coming again? Okay, seeing that all of you can't give me an answer, I'm going to answer maybe for some of us. We're celebrating both. Right? We're in between that time where 2,000 years ago, there was this amazing event the birth of the Christ, right? And, and all that he meant and what, what would come uh, after that, that incredible birth and then the promise that he made, you know, I'm coming back and what he'll, what he'll bring with, with that coming back. So I think that's the answer that we have in common that uh, we're celebrating really two things. So don't blame Ben for this. I was the one that wanted you to, to reflect on when you were eight years old. Okay, so we can talk about it after church. Because <laughs> for me, um, eight years old was a really important season of my life, right? It wasn't just a, an age, but it was a time of my life. So try to reflect on that time around when you were eight. Remember when you just were filled with hope about everything? So Christmas kind of represented that, right? When I was eight years old, I, I just, I hoped for, you know, a particular toy, right? Uh, and I just migrated to the United States. And when we got here in like March, t March 10th, 1977, I don't know why I remember it, but I do, right? It was an important time in my life. And all the advertisements leading up to Christmas was about one thing in my mind. It was about G.I. Joe. <laughs> and I had no context for G.I. Joe. I lived in, we were born and raised in Guyana, you know. We had no context for this warrior with the beard, right? But, but guess what? Somebody got me a G.I. Joe because I'm an eight-year-old and that's what I'm eight-year-old boys were supposed to get. So I got a G.I. Joe and I remember not having context but still being fascinated with the beard. You know, he had a fuzzy beard. Any of you who are as old as me and I know there aren't very many but, but he had a fuzzy beard and all the lint stuff would stick to it. So I didn't have a context for playing with G.I. Joe but I had a context for playing with his beard. And if I kept that G you have a look like you had a G.I. Joe. I caught you. Yeah. <laughs> and if we kept our G.I. Joe to this point, we'd be able to put our kids through college. <laughs> yeah, so that was my context for G.I. Joe. But I was filled with anticipation. And, you know, if I happened not to get what I, what I hoped for, well, I would wait another 364 days. You know, it was okay, just as long as my parents would promise me. You know, you'd, you'd trick them into promising. Promise, I, you know, Mom, I'm really grateful for what I got, but next year, will you please get me, I don't know whatever it was, maybe it was a Ken doll or whatever, but will you get me that? And I was willing to believe the promise, you know. Um, and I've grown 
it through a few seasons, and I've changed a few, through a few seasons, and I've had seasons where I just wasn't as optimistic and hopeful. I had another season following that where I had hoped for a bike, you know. And for most of us around eight years old, that's probably when you got your first bike. For me, it was a little later on. I got my first bike when I was about 14 years old. And I'd hoped for this bike. You know, we lived in Brooklyn at the time, uh, on Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn. It was a very difficult season for Brooklyn during those times. It was in the early 80s, if anyone remembers that. And so I was very fortunate to get a red bike. It was a road bike, right? And, and so I was thrilled. I got in December, and I rode it in December, and I rode it in January. I know it was cold out, but I, I, it was my new bike. You know, by the spring, I was in shape and ready to go ride around Prospect Park. I was thrilled to go riding around Prospect Park with all the other professional riders, you know, the folks with the tight clothes. You know, it was great, you know. And as I rode around the park, summer came, I had my red bike, I had transportation, I can get around and go everywhere. And then my bike was stolen. But it was typical for that season in Brooklyn, you know. You knew, if you got a bike, it's going to get stolen. That's just the nature of things, right? So I just hoped. I hoped for another bike. But this time, the next season of my life, I would have to buy my own bike. You know, so I waited a few years and I bought another bike, another track bike. And I, you know, I rode my bike around and that bike got stolen too. It was still the same kind of season, you know. People were stealing bikes. And uh, so nothing different happened there. Then I got a little older and I got a little who cares about Christmas type of thing. But over the last 12 years of my life, a new season has happened. I have daughters. I have teenagers now, right? Those of you who have teenagers, you know about that season of your life, right? <laughs> Those of you who just simply were teenagers, you know about that season too, right? I've got three teenage daughters, 14, 15, and 16. And I've been able, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Let's breathe together on that one. <laughs> and there's a sermon to come, I promise, all right? <laughs> just wait, wait, it's coming. And, and so I've lived... Christmas through their eyes and you know so I remember their eight-year-old and nine-year-old Christmases and just the anticipation and I I celebrate it because unlike my mom I have more means to provide for them so I'm hoping that I have built a track record of really meeting their hopes and their expectations there have been times where we couldn't because during that those the last 12 years we actually as as a couple me and my wife Vanessa went through a very difficult season but if you ask my children it was probably the best years of their life so I think we did okay. At least Vanessa did okay. I just kind of stood by and laughed. So this message really is about two things. It's twofold. It's really uh, about the meaning of the Christmas season, but it's also about sort of the real meaning in the big picture of the Christmas season. And it's also about seasons of your life. So we're, we're going to be going back and forth. So when I use the word season, it might be applying to us individually or it might be applying to us collectively. That's probably what you'll take away from this, the discussion about seasons of your life. Around the time of the birth of Jesus, many faithful Jews were waiting with great anticipation, like us at eight years old, for the Messiah. Because they knew that the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah would mean the coming of a new season. And, uh, you know, in their minds, it was, a, it was a time of change, a time of rejuvenation. You know, a time of hope, prosperity and liberation from the oppression foretold by Isaiah. They were actually living in that oppression uh, that was foretold early on. Isaiah lived around the 8th century B.C. in the kingdom of Judah. And in the scripture that we read early, he tells of one of God's promises, a covenant of God with his descendants, 
with the descendants of Abraham in Judah. It was a very insecure time for that nation. Uh, God, there were good leaders, there were bad leaders, there were godly leaders, there were ungodly leaders, and the people just kept moving back and forth, you know, over a, an extended period of insecurity. Very, very difficult time. That's where the kingdoms were, were, were uh, divided. So you had Israel and Judah now, and there were times where they actually even opposed each other. So can you imagine living in a time where you just were surrounded on all sides and within by an enemy? Well, it kind of sounds a little bit like today. Anyway, they, this was their life, and Isaiah comes along during this very dark time with a very bright promise. And it was a promise of something to come. This is in Isaiah uh, 61, 1-4. Well, they were familiar with promises of God. This wasn't the first big covenant of God. In fact, throughout history, God had made some very significant promises, beginning with Adam and Eve. You know, he promised them, he said, you know, if you obey me, you'll have dominion over the earth. You know, you'll have all the food you want to eat. You will have uh, the security of having a relationship with God. I mean, it was an incredible promise, you know. Um, they would have a, an eternal relationship with each other and an eternal relationship with God. Well, they broke their part of the agreement. And so they were punished for breaking that part of the agreement. But interestingly enough, God didn't withhold his promise from them. So God kept his word. And the lesson here is God keeps his word sometimes even if we don't. Okay? But he kept his word to them. Then there was another promise. The promise that went to Noah. Okay? Uh, this was about 3000 BC. So between Adam and Eve and Noah, the world had become much more populated but multiple cultures started to arise, a lot of division among nations, and everybody was just competing with each other during that time. And God looked among the people and he thought, you know what, I can't find a single righteous person. I can't, can't find a single person who's oriented towards obedience to me. So he determined, you know, I'm just going to wipe the slate clean with a big flood. But before he did that, he picked one person, and that was Noah and his family, and he said, Noah, I'm going to give you a task. And it was really a test of his obedience, among other things. Noah obeyed. Noah and his, his family were spared from the flood. And then God made a promise. He says, I'll never do this again. I'll never destroy the world with a flood. And if, uh, you're look, if you want Pastor Scripture to look up, look at Genesis 9. Then after the promise to Noah came the promise to Abraham. Again, God looking among the people, searching the hearts of people, and not being able to find that righteousness, that orientation towards God. But finding it in this man, this man Abraham. And God established this wonderful relationship with Abraham. He says, look, not only do I want to have a relationship with you, I want to have a relationship with your descendants. So I'm going to make you a promise. And there, there, there was another special covenant. Is that my phone? That is the most embarrassing thing. <laughs> I've seen that happen so many times and felt so bad for whomever it, <laughs> it happened to. And then here I am, a victim. <laughs> Sorry about that. Right. Who was I talking about? No, I was talking about Abraham, I remember. 2000 BC. Right. So God made this promise. God says, look, I'm going to bless you and your descendants, and I'm going to make them a very special people, all my own. Abraham was obedient to God, and God fulfilled his promise. That's where we get the nation, uh, we get the Jewish people from, right? So these people inherited this wonderful promise from God, among all the other promises. So one promise was just built upon the, the previous promises. It was pretty good. 
You know, it was like Christmas every 500 years, you know. It was pretty awesome. Then after that, there comes the time of Moses. So God's people are in captivity. They're in, in Egypt. They're crying out to God, crying out to be saved. God sends them Moses, and he also sends them a promise, which comes along with the, co- with the covenant in the Ten Commandments and other commandments, the law. And he presented them with these laws, these laws for life, these laws for liberty, these laws for, for development of them as a nation. Uh, he even got down to even saying, hey, eat this stuff, don't eat that stuff. Why? Because if you eat this stuff, you're going to be healthy and well. I mean, God really covered them in the law. And they said, hey, we'll obey. Well, just like people are, just like we all are, over time, they wandered away again from that promise. So God comes back to them during the time of David, and he says, okay, here's another promise. And David's going to personify a lot of this promise to you. So David was a king. He was, he was a leader. He was a, a righteously oriented leader, uh, but he was also a prophet. So he had the gift of being able to speak the word of God into life. David's a fascinated read. Start with the book of Psalm, and, and you'll be fine about David's life. So David, 1000 B.C., is another promise. And then he says to David, specifically, your descendants will be heirs to the throne of the nation of Israel. And it was an agreement that was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the direct descendant of David. And what was different about Jesus' kingship, unlike David's kingship, Jesus would be eternal. So essentially, he said to, to David, forever and ever, whomever is going to rule eternally is going to be one of your descendants. That was pretty exciting to David. Right? Another 500 years goes by, then comes Jesus onto the scene. Israel was really, really waiting for this, for this new king, this Messiah. You know, uh, so since God created the, the earth, there have been many seasons. In this case, they're personified by these covenants. And so it goes with your life. Since God created you, there have probably been many, many seasons of your life. So what really is a season? It's just a, a period of time where there is some consistency. Okay, some things that you can count on. Like, for example, the winter season. There's something I can always count on in the winter season, right? At least here in the Northeast. It's going to be cold, right? So if I go out on December 26th and it's 85 degrees, something went really wrong, right? And it would be pretty disturbing to us if that were to happen. Although it seems like that's going to happen soon enough. Anyway, I digress. Um, (laughs) So it's a period of consistency, Right? You can trust it. It's, it's a promise. It's a guarantee that during this period of your life, these things are likely to happen. In this case, the promise through Jesus was a promise of goodness and prosperity and light. But there are other seasons in our life that aren't like that. I don't know if you've been there, but I certainly have. I've had extended periods where, um, that were more ominous, more insecure, more dark. Periods of, of, of real depression in my life. So I've experienced, I'm 46 years old, so I've experienced a few of these very long extended periods. But regardless of the season you're in today, what these scriptures are about, particularly the scriptures in Isaiah, are about the hope. That everyone, regardless of the season that you're in or the seasons you anticipate yourself to be in, there is a hope. There's a hope for all of us because unlike all of the other seasons that were outlined in this timeline, the period that Jesus would usher in 
would not only be a promise for the descendants of Abraham, it would be a promise for everyone. The promise of hope and light and peace and eternal relationship with God is for everyone. I remember a really important period of my life where there was just a lot of light. My 20s were, to be really honest with you, when I reflect on, on the period of time, it was my 20s. You know, it was an awesome time. You know, any, any 20-somethings in the room? It's okay, you can raise your hand. I'll raise my hand with you. Yeah, yeah, so, so you're, you're pretty much more than the rest of us. There are 20-somethings sprinkle out. So I'm going to customize the message just for the 20-somethings, okay? So enjoy your 20s. It can be a pretty amazing time. For me in my 20s, so I graduated undergrad. Uh, I grew up in Brooklyn. I told you the first season of my life was in Brooklyn. Then I moved away from Brooklyn, went to school, and then I moved back to Brooklyn. Didn't want to move back to Brooklyn, but lo and behold, I got a great job in Brooklyn teaching. You know, perfect little life. You know, the teaching schedule and all that. So at 3.30, I was on my own. And then I got an apartment right where I've always wanted to live. So I lived in a rent-controlled apartment across from the Brooklyn Museum of Art. Collective sigh. Yeah, yeah. Is that where you... Okay. Is that your dream? It was rent control. Can, can I... It's between us. Can I tell you what the rent was? $575 a month. Rent controlled. Yeah, and, and you know what? And, and the subway was right outside my door. 159 Eastern Parkway. Go check it out. Uh, <laughs> The, the, the bus stop was right outside my door. My gym was just down the street, Granami Plaza. I went to this gym there, right? And then my favorite Chinese food was on Washington Avenue. I had the life. I had the life. You know, teaching schedule, summer's off. So it was pretty awesome. It was a great season of my life. By the time I got to around uh, 26 years old, I became a Christian. In fact, here's how convenient my life was, right? So... I got baptized in the pool at my gym by my trainer. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and it's obvious that he's still not, he's not my trainer now. That's why I have this to kind of... You know. um, but he was a very good trainer. Yeah, he was a really, really good trainer then, you know. Uh, so I had the life. And then, uh, you know, I, I got into a point where it just wasn't fulfilling anymore, even, the, even that kind of perfection. And so I became a Christian, and now I have a, a weird Christian life. You ready for this? So eight months after I got baptized, I left that apartment. I packed up all my stuff that was in New York. I sold a bunch of my stuff, and I went off to plant a church back where I was born. Right? On the way there, I had to stop off in Jamaica. Right? It actually gets pretty good. So I had to stay in Jamaica for a little while to get acclimated to the Caribbean. And the day after I got there, less than 24 hours, I met the light of my life, my wife kind of worked out right so so the pastor of the church who sent me off you know he knew that for my brief time in new york i was a single guy with a good job you know rel- relatively fit so i was dating like a madman the bottom line is that i was a serial dater right but this is but this is holy dating you know this is just going out and hanging out with great people who i probably would have been intimidated to even ask out before but they were a captive audience they were in my church you know like, yeah so so I dated, I just made a lot of great friendships. And then I'm going to be sent off to some remote place. So I'm like, how many people are going to be on this mission team? There are five. Two of them would be women. It's like, oh, my choices are going to be narrowed. <laughs> but the pastor said to me, he just, he just gave me a little glimpse of light. He's 
don't worry about it, you'll be just fine. He had met Vanessa before I had. So when I got to Jamaica, I'm in the staff meeting one day, and I'm kind of facing in one direction, and this woman walks in the room. You ever get that feeling where, ooh, who's that? You know? and I didn't see her, but I felt her, you know? And I met her, and I took her out to lunch a few times, and then she married me 11 months later. So that was one season in my life. And she said this prophetic thing that I didn't share with the first service. Because when I first met her, she said, I invited her out to lunch. And she said, hey, if you feed me, we're going to get along fine. <laughs> so I fed her every day for about a week. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Hey, hey, I learned a few things, okay? So that's one season. You know, I don't know what season you're in right now. Your 20s can be pretty awesome. But even in the best season, there are always those moments of darkness, Right? Even the best times of your life, there are always those insecurities. There could be job insecurities. You know, you may have a great job, but you might be thinking, hey, I don't know how much longer I'm going to have that. I had that type of a season. The reason that none of these seasons are ever perfect is because they're supposed to be ushering in your hope for another season. So for wherever you are right now, even if this is the best of times, or it could possibly be the worst of times, all of that is so that you can hope for the next thing. And we're almost home. We've gone through all of this part of the timeline, but we're almost home to what we believe to be the last and final season. In fact, if you look at the timeline, the next season is actually a little bit overdue. So the next season begins with Jesus. It begins with the death of Jesus. And that death would usher in the new covenant under which we all become justified by the grace and mercy of Christ. Where in the past, we had to rely on the law and become expert students in the law so we couldn't break the law. Jesus said in this season, he'll put it all on our hearts. In this new season, the followers of Christ have something that no other group of people had before. We had the promise of the Holy Spirit living in us and counseling us and walking with us and teaching us and guiding us, empowering us. They never had that. They had to depend on the word of the priest. In this new season, the scriptures say actually we become the priests. We become this holy people, the royal nation. We become it in this new season. I don't know about you, that, but that is really encouraging to me. So when I get to this point and I ask myself, what should I really be celebrating? I think I can celebrate the fact that Jesus came for sure, you know, the baby Jesus thing in the whole nine yards. But I'm really celebrating the second coming. I'm really hoping to see that. You know, I, and I'm hoping that you see that along with me. You know, because in this season, it's about everybody seeing the same thing. It's about everybody having the same thing. Recent events around the world have made me even more hopeful for that time. You know, social justice has really been ringing in my ears lately. More than ever, I've pretty much given my life over to social justice. But recently, it's like I feel the weight of it. Do you? A collective weight of just wanting justice. It's not only about Ferguson. It's not about Staten Island. It's not about black and white. It's not about race. But I just want justice. But I've come to the point where I realize that without Christ, there just won't be that. The kind of global justice that I'm envisioning really requires some, well, going back to our old church days, if you ever had old churches, it really required some Holy Spirit power. Interestingly enough, 
Jesus is relying upon us to bring in that kind of a season. So for me, this season really does have two meanings. It's a time where I could pro- proclaim to people that I believe that the Messiah came 2,000 years ago. And I do that boldly. I do that along with you. You know, um, by living, living a life that says, hey, this is what this guy really believes, right? That's what you do as well. But I also live in this hope w- along with you and the celebration along with you. Christmas means a very different thing to me now than it did when I was eight years old. And I'm sure and I hope that it means something different to you. So my hope for you is that you have hope regardless of the season of your life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so very much that uh, we have this hope. Sometimes it needs to be renewed in us, and I pray that today that hope is renewed, that we feel refreshed and, and alive in hope of the second coming of your Christ. But until that day, we pray, God, that you will use us to bring about hope, social justice, to bring about justice in this world, to free the, the captive, to, uh, to release people to the freedom in Christ that, that you have promised them. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.